Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to be with you today. Uh, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Matt. I serve out in Parker County as the West Campus Pastor, so I want to say a special good morning to all of my friends at the West Campus, those of you uh, down at the Hive. I also want to say hello to those of you who are gathered at the South Campus over in Converge. And if you're watching with us online, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14 today, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 14. We'll be starting in verse 22 here in just a moment. As you're turning there, I thought that uh, we could get to know one another by me sharing with you all one of my more embarrassing moments in life. Uh, I used, before I came to Christ Chapel, I used to work at a um, Christian camp out in East Texas, and there I ran a discipleship program for college students. And at that, as a part of our program, we would take our students to Israel every year. And as we would do that, we would, I would teach them, we would walk along the paths, we would study the scriptures in the land. It's a great trip, really a lot of fun. And one year in particular, we had an international student that came with us. But before he could go, he had to get some special paperwork in order for him to be able to come on the trip. He wasn't a U.S. citizen. And so there... Um, are some things that are true about college students. One of them is they like to delay and do things at the very last minute. And so this particular college student, although he had about four months to prepare and get his paperwork in order, waited until a week before we left to get his stuff together. He walked up to me and he said, Mr. Matt, I, I haven't taken care of my paperwork. I, I didn't do my stuff. I don't think I'm going to be able to go on the trip with you. And I said, we want to help you. We're a group. We're a team. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's figure out what we can do. So we called our local congressman's office. We got an appointment for him at the passport office in Dallas. He had to run around to get all his paperwork, get some stuff from his parents. But praise God, he was able to get all of his stuff together and get his paperwork done by Friday afternoon. And our flight left on Sunday evening. So we were so thrilled that he, could, he was able to come with us. Meanwhile, my wife and I were trying to make our own way out to Dallas Friday evening for a big event that we had to attend and we did, we had a great time, went to the event and stayed overnight at my parents' house. And then at 3 a.m. on Saturday morning, I sat straight up in my bed and I said, oh no, I have made a terrible mistake. And I woke up my wife and I said, Darcy, I forgot to get my passport out of my safe deposit box at the bank. And the bank doesn't open until Monday. I'm the leader of this trip to Israel. <laughs> we have 60 people going. They've all paid thousands of dollars. What do I do? <laughs> and then it all just washes over you. At three in the morning, all of the fear, all of the shame, all of the embarrassment in that moment. As Jesus trains his disciples, and especially in the Gospel of Matthew, he gives them a phrase more than he gives them any other as he critiques their growth. And the phrase is this, maybe you've heard it, O you of little faith. O you of little faith. And I, I can't begin to tell you how small my faith was at three o'clock in the morning uh, there in my bedroom. But just because my faith was small didn't mean I didn't have faith at all. And just because my faith was small didn't mean that it couldn't grow. And I think that's why Jesus says that phrase to his disciples so often. He's not angry with them when he says that phrase. 
He's not disappointed in them. He's encouraging them. He wants their faith to become bigger, to become stronger, because they're going to need it. Today we're beginning a new series called Inside Out, and it's a series that's going to give us an up-close look at Jesus' heart for life change, for growth. His ministry is going to transition away from public teachings and public miracles, and it's going to instead start to focus more on private training and development of the disciples, and then some confrontations with the religious leaders of the day and their hypocrisy. And as that happens, Jesus is going to give um, his disciples opportunity for their faith to grow. He wants to see it grow. But he's not going to author life change the way that the Pharisees would do it. He's not going to make more laws or stricter laws and try to control them and intimidate them with guilt and shame. He's not interested in behavior management. Jesus wants to see our hearts change. And, and instead, Jesus is going to give his disciples reason and opportunity for their faith to grow, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Jesus wants our faith to grow, and he wants it to be strong. He wants it to be pure, but how does that happen? And how can our faith grow in the midst of life when it's complicated and painful and difficult? Those are the questions I want us to look at this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 14. So if you've turned there, let's begin looking at the text here in verse 22. It says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. May God bless the reading of his word. This episode happens right after another very well-known miracle of Jesus, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. And as soon as that miracle happens and that feast is over, Jesus sends his disciples into what they think will be a simple trip back across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But really, Jesus has set it up as a classroom for their faith to grow. The scene is very tense. I mean, the sun is setting after a very long and hard day. The disciples have gotten into the boat and they're, they're rowing away from the shore. The wind begins to blow very strong, a very strong windstorm at that time. And the disciples are by themselves because Jesus is sending the crowds away and he's up on a mountain praying. And it says that Jesus doesn't come to them until the fourth watch of the night which is the three hours before dawn. So it's possible that these disciples were in the boat rowing against the wind for hours before Jesus catches up to them. And then he comes walking, John's gospel says, some three miles across the sea, and that's where the lesson begins. He wants their faith to grow. And in order for that to happen, he wants to give them reason for their faith to grow. So Jesus grows our faith by giving our faith reason to grow. 
Jesus gives our faith reason to grow. A lot of critics of Christianity seem to think that we have this blind faith in Jesus. And I don't think faith in Jesus is blind at all, actually. I mean, if blind faith would be like someone racing down a path with destruction at their heels and a fork in the road in front of them. And as they're running away from destruction and the fork in the road comes, they know that one path leads to safety and the other path leads off a cliff, but they can't remember which path leads where. So as they're running towards the path, they just have to choose one. They don't know which one will lead them to safety, and so they have to put their faith in one, and so they just pick. That's blind faith. But I think in Christianity, as we're running down the path, we have signs along the way that say safety this way, and you have someone at the end saying, this is the path to safety. That path leads over a cliff. Choose this one. We have, our faith is informed. Our faith is reasonable because of the words and works of Jesus. He gives us overwhelming reason to put our faith in him. First of all, Jesus gives us his words, and his words demonstrate his authority. Even from the time Jesus was a boy, he was speaking with authority to his parents and to the religious leaders of the day. He would go into synagogues, and as he would teach, he would teach them how to rightly interpret the scriptures, how Old Testament prophecies were going to be fulfilled in his ministry, and he offered wisdom that could only come from God. He even declared himself to be the Messiah. But in our world today, and the same back then, when you're making claims like that, you better be able to substantiate them. And that's why Jesus performs miracles. He's not trying to show off. He's wanting to authenticate the words that he's speaking. He wants to demonstrate and to reveal to the world that he is who he claims to be, and that happens in and through his works. And Jesus' works demonstrate his sovereignty. Now, there are a number of miracles we could talk about, obviously, and we'll just stick here with walking on the water because that's pretty significant in and of itself. But walking on the water isn't just amazing because it defies the laws of physics. It's amazing because in doing so, Jesus is making a profound statement in that moment. Uh, in Greco-Roman theology, the water, especially deep bodies of water, represented a gateway to the underworld. It was the abyss. And the gods and goddesses and demons of the underworld would come and go from the earth through the water. In Jewish theology, when you think about large bodies of water and wind, you think about chaos. Chaos is kind of what water represents, especially in the Hebrew Bible, and it even brings to mind Genesis 1-2 that says, darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It was the chaos before the creation, before God spoke the world into being. In either worldview, anyone who walks on the water has absolute power, absolute dominion, and absolute sovereignty. You see, the words and the works of Jesus are how he reveals himself to the world. Jesus isn't running a campaign to get elected to the office of Messiah. 
He's not trying to prove to the Pharisees that he should be declared Messiah by them. He is revealing who he is in his word and in his works so that we, everybody in the entire world, can have a reasonable faith in him. But reason alone isn't enough to make our faith grow bigger. A reasonable faith is kind of like a muscle. It needs to be exercised in order for it to grow. So Jesus doesn't just give us our faith reason to grow. He also gives it opportunity to grow. And that's what the second half of the story is about here in verses 26 through 33. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they cried out, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know, storms, both literal and figurative, are a perfect place for a reasonable faith to get some exercise. Because storms are unpredictable and uncontrollable. And the more unpredictable and uncontrollable our circumstances, the more fear and insecurity we experience. And the more fear and insecurity we experience, the more we go looking for salvation from those fears. Now, up until this point in the story, there's been no fear. The disciples have been in a boat with Jesus before. He calmed the storm before. It's not until they see Jesus walking on the water that they are stricken and terrified with fear. And when they say they think he's a ghost, they don't think Jesus is a ghost like Casper. Or, you know, like the bed sheets that you put on your little kids for their first Halloween costume. You know, we're... The way the disciples think of a ghost, remember, they're on top of the abyss, the gateway to the underworld. What if this is one of the demons of the deep come to destroy us? That's why they're stricken with terror. And when their hearts are suddenly full of chaos, uncertainty, and fear, they still have to choose a path. Which path is most reasonable in that moment? in that chaos. And Jesus wants their faith to grow, so he speaks into the chaos, and he says, be courageous, take heart, it is me. He, the divine name, I am, do not fear. Because chaos is an opportunity for faith. Chaos is an opportunity for faith. So what do you do 
when it's 3 a.m. and you just realize that you don't have your passport for a trip that leaves on Sunday, you don't go back to sleep, I can tell you that much. You sit there and you wring your hands and these are the thoughts that went through my head. How can I fix this? How can I make this so that no one else knows I made this mistake? (laughs) There's gotta be a way. There's gotta be a way I can fix this. So that's what I did. I utilized every connection I could think of to get in touch with anyone who might have any kind of authority to get me inside that bank on a Saturday. I drove all the way back to East Texas. I went to a grocery store where there was a branch of the bank that I went to that was open from 9 a.m. to noon, talked to the sweet assistant manager who was so kind to me, so sympathetic. She got me in touch with the vice president of the bank who got me in touch with the president of the bank on a Saturday. All of them, so kind, so caring, so understanding. The president even got me in touch with the security team But they all said, the safe where the safety deposit boxes are located doesn't open by a key. It opens by time. The only thing that will unlock it is Monday morning. And you know, I worked so hard. I was so diligent to try to control the chaos. And you know what thought never crossed my mind? Chaos is an opportunity for faith. Not once, not once. I had a reasonable faith in Jesus and I elected not to use it. But Peter did. Peter elected to use his faith in a moment of terror and chaos. Everybody focuses on how Peter sinks in the water. Hold up a second. Wait. Even though the circumstances had not changed, And the fear and the chaos of the moment cease for Peter. Because the word of Jesus and the works of Jesus he saw, and he chose to place his faith in Jesus at that moment, and his faith grew to the point where he wanted to do something he knew was physically impossible. Why would Peter want to get out of a perfectly good boat in the middle of a windstorm at at three in the morning? It's because Jesus is his rabbi, and Peter is his disciple. And in the first century, you didn't follow a rabbi just so that you could know what the rabbi knows. That's like Western education, where you sit in a classroom, and I just want the teacher to download the information for me. I don't really care to get to know them. I just need the information so I can pass the test. But in the first century, especially in a Jewish culture, you follow the rabbi that you want to be exactly like. And so Peter wants to get out of the boat because he sees his rabbi walking on the water and he's like, oh, that's why he brought us out here. He's going to teach us how to do that. I'll go first. The chaos gave Peter a chance to exercise his faith and it grew. I mean, how far did he make it? Was it one step, 10 steps, 100 yards, half a mile? I don't know, but it says... He walked on the water. But here's the tough reality. 
that just because we have faith to walk on water in one moment doesn't mean we'll continue to have that same kind of faith the next. For some reason, even though the circumstances don't change, Peter sees the wind, becomes afraid again, and begins to sink. And it's moments like this with Peter that I just love him because he's so normal. I mean, you've had these moments in your life where you struggled with something and you've tried to beat it and finally you're beginning to get some headway in it and you get some victory over a struggle that you have and it's not plagued you for like two or three weeks and then just one bad decision and you're right back where you started. It's a humiliating place to be. It's it's embarrassing. It's frustrating. But it's not where we have to stay. Jesus quickly speaks into that moment, too, with his word. And he says, oh, you of little faith. But I, want, I very much want us to see that, that Jesus doesn't say this talking down to Peter. I think Jesus says this like a father would speak to his child who is at the summer pool trying to go up to the high dive and jump off the high dive for the first time. Where it makes, the child makes it all the way to the top Gets the feet to the edge, looks over and goes, and then has to make kind of the shameful walk back down the ladder and then back down to dad. Ah, buddy, you made it all the way up there. All you had to do was jump. What happened? Jesus is like, oh, Peter, what happened to your faith? Where did it go? You got all the way out here. He wants Peter's faith to grow. Doubt happens. It happens. But that doesn't diminish Jesus' desire to see our faith grow even when we're struggling with it. Because doubt is an opportunity for faith too. Doubt is an opportunity for faith. And I think there are two types of doubt you can experience in moments like this. First, there's a doubt that comes from lack of conviction, where you essentially, I just don't believe God can do what I, I hope he can do, or I just don't believe in God anymore. I don't, I don't think that's what Peter is struggling with here. I think he is dealing with a doubt that comes from having two convictions that are equally strong and feel equally true. Where Peter doubts his ability to walk on the water, but he also wants to believe in the command that Jesus has given him. I mean, that's happened in my life a ton where God gives me a command. I know clearly that the Lord is calling me to do something but I don't think I can carry it out. And that makes me hesitate. It makes me paralyzed. And then my opportunity for faith disappears. And when our opportunity for faith disappears, failure is usually not far behind. But that's okay. Because failure is an opportunity for faith too. Failure is an opportunity for faith. When I got off the phone with the head of the security company, I had driven to my bank just in faith that the security company would be able to meet me there and let me in. And when I hung up, realizing that all of my options were gone, that all of my mistakes and the chaos that I had created was going to be exposed and everyone was going to know what I had done, I wept. 
I wept out of shame. I wept out of embarrassment. I wept out of... I don't make mistakes like that. That's not me. I've done this trip a hundred times. I warned my students, don't forget your passport, over and over again the week before, and here I am making the boneheaded mistake. People have paid thousands of dollars to come on this trip with me. I'm now going to affect their experience. What's going to happen? I don't know. I couldn't save myself in that moment. I could, felt, I could feel myself sinking into the waves of depression and worry. And I needed a savior. I needed someone who wasn't afraid of my failure like I was. I needed someone who could do something about my failure. I needed someone who cared about me in spite of and together with my failure. And that's when it hit me that Jesus had been standing there on the water of my chaos and my mistakes the whole time saying, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And as he saved me from drowning in my own self-pity, and brought me into the boat, everything in my heart went calm. And I don't know if you're relating to me on this story at all, I don't know if you've experienced a moment of rescue like that in your life, but I completely relate to the disciples. When we experience the peace that surpasses all understanding and you look at your savior and you say, truly, you are the son of God. You are sovereign over all things. You are the authority over all things in my life. Why did I doubt? And even in my failure, I could feel my faith growing. So what does that look like for us? How does that, how can we, in our everyday circumstances, in our everyday lives, Be ready for our faith to grow when the chaos comes, when the doubt comes, when the failure comes. What does that look like? Three application points for us uh, as we close. First, we need to be mindful of the reasons that we believe in Jesus. We need to be mindful of the reasons that we believe in Jesus. And what do I mean by that is that we won't be able to get out of the boat in the middle of the storm if we don't first have a reasonable faith. We cannot have a reasonable faith if we don't know the words and the works of Jesus. If they're not handy so that they're readily available when doubt or fear or failure or pain is at our doorstep. And the more we both understand and remember what Jesus has said, what he's done, the more faith we will have in him in those difficult moments especially. That's why I'm glad that when we come to to worship every Sunday, we say, open your Bibles. That's why I hope during the week, you're opening your scriptures. You're reading about the words and the works of Jesus. 
That's why we've given you the Matthew journals for you to study and to pray through and to journal. That's why we send you a text message every Monday with a memory verse so that you can hide the word of God in your heart so that you can both understand and remember that our faith grows on the foundation of the word and the works of Jesus, not on our ability to manage our performance, not on our ability to make sure our feelings stay in check, not on our ability to sidestep failure. The second thing I think we need to remember from this story is that we need to be teachable in times of success and in times of chaos. We need to be teachable in times of success and chaos. So whether we're walking on the water or sinking in the waves, it will help us find opportunities for our faith to grow if we ask ourselves one simple question. God, what are you wanting to teach me in this moment? If you're experiencing a success in your life right now, are you even thinking about that as an opportunity for faith? If life is challenging for you right now, are you asking God, what is it that you want, how is it that you want my faith to grow in you in and through this moment? If we can at least reorient our perspective to keep our eyes focused on the one who walks over the wind and the waves of the chaos of our lives, that will keep us from sinking in success or sinking in despair. And then finally, we need to be courageous. We need to be courageous in moments of fear and in moments of doubt. Peter got out of the boat because he wanted to be like his rabbi. He wanted to be like Jesus. He didn't know how walking on water was gonna work. He couldn't explain how it was about to happen. But it was enough for him that his Lord was doing it. And as his disciple, he wanted to be where his Lord was. And so he got out of the boat. Peter exercises his faith in a moment when he was experiencing fear. That's what courage is. Exercising your faith when you're experiencing fear. So where is Jesus calling you to follow him? How can you join him where he is in the work that he is doing even if you don't know what the outcome will be. Maybe you need to have, you've been meaning to have a spiritual conversation with one of your neighbors, but you've lacked the courage to do so. Maybe there's a vice or a struggle in your life. and You know that you need to ask someone else for help. Maybe there's a relationship that needs healing and you know you need to be the first one to apologize, but you don't want to. How are you going to exercise your faith this week? Well, I got to exercise my faith on that Sunday afternoon when my group gathered to get on the bus to go to the airport. And by that time, Jesus had calmed the chaos in my heart. I had worked out the solutions with my staff I'd worked out the solution with the airlines. I rebooked my ticket. I was just gonna come a day later. I gave my notes to my associate. It really, it really ended up being not that big of a deal. I got my passport on Monday. 
and I was just a day late. Every year we go to Israel, we pick a theme for our trip because there's so many lessons that we learn over there. We want to have a theme that kind of ties them all together. You want to know what the theme of our trip that year was? And I'm not kidding. An opportunity for faith. And I picked that theme because when God brings his people out of Egypt and into the promised land, he uses every single experience along the way successes and failures to encourage his people to trust and obey him. And little did we know that our very first Israel lesson was gonna happen in the parking lot in the middle of East Texas. I'll never forget that trip. It taught me to have eyes for what opportunities for faith look like and how I can be ready to grow when they come and how much Jesus wants my faith to grow. And I hope that as you encounter chaos, as you encounter doubt and failure and pain in your own life, that these two stories will remind you that Jesus wants your faith to grow too. He's given you what you need for your faith to grow, even in the storm, so that you can get out of the boat and walk with him. It's a good lesson for us to remember, and I hope that we can apply it in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you have demonstrated to us that you are worthy of our faith. And so we want to come to you right now And we want to acknowledge that you are the Son of God. We want to remind our hearts that you are the sovereign one. You are the one with the authority. We want to confess to you, Father, that our our doubts and our fears oftentimes get the better of us. We know that we need to be honest with you about our sin and the ways that we don't put our faith in you. But Father, most of all, We want to give you thanks that no matter what experience we have, you are there in the storm with us, walking on top of the chaos so that our faith can grow. So Father, would you increase our faith? Would you help us to follow, trust, and obey you? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.